Welcome to the Sovereign Grace Church Sermons Podcast. Enjoy the sermon by Pastor Jason. Sovereign Grace Church is a Bible-based, gospel-centered church. Please enjoy. I am going to kind of continue along the same lines as what we did last Sunday. Last Sunday we preached on basically why we do what we do in our services, why they are ordered as they are ordered, all of the different elements and the importance of those elements. I pray that was helpful for everybody. I want to go deeper into another portion of our service, and that is the preaching. What do we preach? Uh, Brother Garrett and I, as the, uh, the teaching elders and preaching elders, we have a heavy responsibility to make sure that what we're teaching is solid and it lines up with the Word of God. So I want you to understand why we preach and teach all of the things that we do. Uh, That way we can be solidly set and understand what's coming out of of, of the pulpit of this church. Um, I want to start with a quote from John MacArthur, or if you're as friendly with him as I am, Johnny Mac, that's what I call him, Uh, he said, and hear this, it's not an indictment upon yourself, but the church as a whole, he said the church is so ignorant about the gospel that when you preach the true gospel, you're very liable to be vilified for it by the church. That's a very interesting quote, and it, it speaks to me not so much of any type of anger at the church as a whole, I think it speaks to me more of the ignorance of what the teaching should be in the visible church more than anything else. What the true teaching should be of the church is is very clearly laid out in Scripture. And one thing that, I, that, 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 that I'll say is not ever laid out in Scripture is uh, TED Talks. That's why I don't do them anymore. That's why sometimes my preaching goes 53 minutes like last week. And I've got a group full of people in this building that just sit and soak it up, which is awesome. Many, according to the videos and surveys that I've seen, and I know if you've if you fall into the YouTube trap like I do sometimes, like especially if you fall into like the uh, the Ray Comfort trap or or the Bodie Bachman trap, you start to hear all these surveys and these videos that talk about what the true gospel is. And many people have no idea how to articulate what the gospel is. They don't have a clue. They don't know. They don't know what the gospel is. You ask them what the gospel is, and they're like, oh, I don't know, it's hard to say. Well, we should know what the gospel is, and I want to make sure that we all understand what we preach and teach here by the end of this sermon. So, buckle your seatbelt. We're about to embark on a journey into what we preach here. Now hear the infallible, inspired Word of God. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Okay, first of all, don't take that out of context. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, that it is infallible, inspired, and errant. God, that it is a reliable set of historical documents written down in the lifetime of eyewitnesses. And God, it testifies to supernatural events that were prophesied in Scripture for thousands of years. And God, it is true 
and we can count on it. That Scripture alone is the rule of faith and practice in the church. That all of Scripture is profitable for teaching. And God, we thank You so much that we have it in our hands thanks to men who are willing to die to do it. God, remove the veil that we may see clearly what You have to say to us this morning, that we may clearly understand the Gospel. Holy Spirit, illuminate this path for us as we walk. Let it be clear and let us grasp everything that You would have us to grasp. In Christ's name, sanctify us by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Amen. So, first of all, I told you not to take that out of context. Timothy lived in the time of the apostles in the apostolic age. Therefore, he came before the elders who were, guess what? In the apostolic age, they laid hands on him and prophesied that he would be a teacher and a preacher. And that was the gift. This is not something that we're looking for today. Okay? That happened because they were, it was the apostles that were doing it. Now, let's go forward. I want to reread verse 16 because that's kind of where we're jumping off from into the rest of this. Verse 16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a watch, it says. Close watch on yourself. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy, who is basically an elder, a teaching elder in a church. He's saying, keep a watch on yourself to stay in the teaching. Stick to the teaching. Persist in this, he says. And he says, by doing it, you'll save yourself and the hearers. How can he say that? Is Timothy saving people? No, the gospel is. That's why he's got to stick to it. Persist in the gospel. Stick to the teaching because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So he's saying if you'll stick to it, people will be saved from their sins because it's the gospel. So, he's speaking to the elder of the church, Timothy, and he's saying... Stick to the teaching. So what does Scripture tell us that the teaching of the church should be? Based on my reading and study, I want to tell you what I believe it is. Based on what I've read in Scripture and what the elders of churches in the original church taught, what the apostles taught, what is taught in Scripture, based on that, it looks to me as if we teach three things solidly in our churches. We teach doctrine, we teach theology, and we teach the gospel. Doctrine, theology, and the gospel. So, that's what we're going we're gonna to jump off from. We're going to start there. We're going to say that's what we preach and teach in this church. So, let's start with the first scary word to some. Doctrine. Titus 2.1 says... How this is ever missed, I don't understand. Titus 2.1 But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. There is no reading into that. There is no gotta find a translator for that. It says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what is he saying? Right then, he is saying, teach doctrine. Solid doctrine. That's what Paul is saying in speaking to elders. I'm sure as he was going through setting up these churches, as he was establishing elders in these churches, plurality of elders like we have in our church, as he was establishing that, he would tell them, teach these doctrines. Okay? It's sound. Teach these doctrines. 1 Timothy 6.3 says this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Now he starts there and then he goes into a long diatribe. But he's trying to say, basically, 
A different doctrine means it doesn't line up with what Jesus said or the teaching that accords with godliness, which is contained in one place. Guess where? The Word of God. That is what doesn't accord with godliness. And unfortunately, in our modern world and in their world, okay, this isn't new. It's been going on since the beginning. Unfortunately, there are many who do not teach the sound words of Christ and what the teaching is that lines up with godliness. They don't teach sound doctrine. They teach what makes them more money. What makes the parking lots fill up? Here, we teach doctrine. Sound doctrine. Doctrine that lines up with Scripture. Not fads. Okay? I joked this morning with the Sunday school class and said, Hey, this morning I'm not going to do a college football themed TED Talk or, or preaching. Five years ago, I may have done a college football related preaching or teaching. But I'm not going to do that this morning. That's not going to help you. We're not going to watch a secular movie and then me teach a series on them. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to teach what aligns with sound doctrine. Because, hear me clearly, success to me is not filling up that parking lot right there. It's not having every seat filled up and, 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 and being real popular and having a ton of people follow us on Facebook. That is not, that is not success to me. That is not us growing to me. What grows to me is this. When I see you understanding sound doctrine, that is growth to me. When you understand the things that we're teaching here and you can articulate it, then to me, we have started to be successful. So, one example of a doctrine that we believe is a key doctrine is the key doctrine of the Reformation. It's in our church confession. Pastor Garrett went over it this morning in uh, in our Sunday school. Brother Garrett, he 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 clearly said he clearly stated the the five solas of the Reformation as one of our key doctrines, and we had a good discussion on it. The five solas are this: it is the doctrine of justification. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura, or actually no, let me go in order. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, sola Deo gloria. That may sound scary to some. I don't think it's scary. I don't think it's, it's something that can be over your head. I think you have all the ability in the world to understand this. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus. In Christ alone. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. Soli Deo Gloria. All for the glory of God alone. So if I was going to put the doctrine of justification in a sentence, this would be it. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. That is the doctrine of justification. We preach that here. Why? Because you can get it. And if you get the doctrine of justification, it will change your life. This lines up solidly with the teaching of the early church, the teachings of Christ, with the teachings of Paul, with the teachings of the Reformation, with solid biblical teaching throughout history. It lines up with the doctrine of justification. Therefore, we classify that as sound doctrine, which is what we teach here. Some other doctrines that we believe in that you probably hear me talk about all the time. One of my favorites. Inspiration and authority of Scripture. It wasn't written by the Council of Nicaea in 300. It has stood the test of time from the time it was written. The Da Vinci Code is a book of fiction. The Council of Nicaea didn't decide what the Bible was going to be. Jesus decided what the Bible was going to be in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then in John 1, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, they wrote down His words. And then they wrote letters about His words. And that is what Scripture is. And that is something we can stand on. It's inspired and authoritative. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is one in essence. Three in persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is not God the Father, but God the Son is God. God the Father is not God the Holy Spirit, but He is God. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Son, but He is God. They are one in essence, three in persons. Each having maybe a different set of jobs that they do, according to Scripture, but they are co-equal, co-eternal for all time. They don't just, it's not one God who changes his mind and, become, and does something else and becomes something else. He doesn't change forms. He doesn't change modes. We're not modeless. We are Trinitarian. And another doctrine that we solidly believe is the doctrine of Christ. Christ was all man, all God. He came, lived a sinless life. He died bodily after taking the wrath of God for sin, and He rose again on the third day. The doctrines of Christ are solid. By teaching sound doctrine, our hope is that we will steer people away from false doctrines because they crop up. Maybe the doctrine that you're little gods. Nope, 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 nope. nope. You are a sinful creature saved by holy God. These false doctrines are so prevalent in the modern visible church that we must teach sound doctrine here to steer people away from it. We're probably not going to be the most popular church because of that. That's okay. We don't have to be. I want to be faithful, not popular. I know you guys would rather me be faithful than popular. R.C.'s uh, J.C. Ryle said something that I thought was very solid. He said, we should no more tolerate false doctrine than we would tolerate sin. So he equates false doctrine and sin. And I agree completely. I think he's absolutely right. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Things that are not true. God's Word is truth. And sound doctrine comes from the Word of God. And there are many who follow after myths opposed to, as opposed to God and what He says in His Word. But we teach sound doctrine so that we can lead people away from false doctrine. And so that I can equip you in your, in your life and in your world to be solid believers who can articulate all that you believe in a solid way. So the second thing we preach here is theology. Some kind of equate doctrine and theology, but they're kind of two different things. So let me kind of give you the difference between it because it's kind of simple. If, if you know this, you can kind of, kind of maybe separate in your head what's doctrine, what's theology. Doctrine is, is actually theology, but it's specific points of theology. Like uh, the teaching of the doctrine of justification is part of theology, but it is a doctrine, a specific tenet. Um, it's teaching that kind of accords with who God truly is as revealed in Scripture. Theology, on the other hand, literally means study of God. What do I know about God? Theology is knowing God. Theo, God. Ology, study. Study of God. Who He truly is. It's a vast study. Doctrine is, is, is very specified. Theology is vast. It's the whole study of God. All things we know about God have to follow, follow on the umbrella of our theology. Um, 
we do teach theology here. C.S. Lewis said something very interesting. He said, if you don't listen to theology, that won't mean you have no ideas about God. It will mean you will have a lot of wrong ones. That's true. I'll never forget, and Gary probably remembers this too, I'll never forget the moment we were texting and we were both kind of in a crisis point, a, a, a weight in the balance, trying to figure out what in the world we believe. He says, what is our theology? And you know what? I couldn't tell him. I said, uh, I don't know. So guess what that sparked in my life? That that idea, I don't have a theology. I, I don't know truly what I believe about who God is. Guess what that sparked? Study of the Word. Study of deep things. Finding teachers who taught the truth of the Word of God. That's what it led to. Because it's true. If we don't know theology, if we don't listen to theology, it's not that we just won't know God, because guess what? God is known. We'll just have all the wrong ideas about Him. That He's this or that. And it's not accurate based on what the Scripture says about Him. That's why I loved our series that we did on Wednesday nights about the attributes of God, because it was clearly stating who God was each attribute, and you're like, knowing this about God changes how I approach Him. I approach Him in reverence because He is holy. Period. I don't I don't go up willy-nilly. I don't do the old thing where He was Daddy God and He could, He had my picture on His refrigerator and I could just go kick the refrigerator open. We must know our God, the real God. The true God of the Bible. What does what does knowing the true God lead us to? Or what does not knowing it lead us to? What does not knowing the true God lead us to? I've got a very interesting quote from somebody who is not a theologian. I don't have a religion. I believe in a God. I don't know what it looks like, but it's my God, my own interpretation of the supernatural. Jennifer Aniston said that. Friend of stars. She's a, she's, a, she's, a, she's a star of Friends, and she's acted in many other movies, but she doesn't know who God is. She doesn't have a theology, she says, but she does. She's got a wrong one. So, to me, the quote that you've seen, and you've probably heard it, I've heard it. People have said it to me in our church before, previously. I don't need doctrine and theology. I just need Jesus. That doesn't lead us any place good. It doesn't work. We will think something about God. It'll either be true or false, but we're going to think something. And I need to know, first of all, who is the Jesus that I'm talking about here? Is it the Jesus of Scripture? Is it the Jesus of the Mormons? Is it the Jesus of the uh, 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 the Jehovah Witnesses that think he's Michael the Archangel? I mean, who is it? Is it, the, the, as the Mormons believe, the, the spiritual brother of Lucifer? Which Jesus am I talking about that, I'm, that, that I only need him and not doctrine and theology? I need to know. Because I'm going to think something about God, period. Even the atheists think something about God. See, because the idea that atheism is the is belief, belief that there is no God is not true. Atheism has evolved into the hatred of the God of the Bible. That's what atheism truly is. It is hatred of the God of the Bible. So you're going to believe something about God and it will either, either be true or false. Scriptural theology tells us exactly who God is as far as we are able to understand are some things that, that about God and Scripture hard to understand? Absolutely. Do we shy away from them and never approach it? No. Go for it. Dig in. You never know if you might be able to, to grow your knowledge of Him. We must know God, our triune God, one in essence, three in persons. That's who God is. Now, some think that theology 
is too hard for the everyday Christian to grasp. And I think that is one of the most insulting things I've ever heard. That theology is too hard for the everyday Christian to grasp. I was once told to keep it simple and, po and positive so everybody off the street would understand. And then this phrase that has stuck in my head for two years. Don't answer any questions that no one is asking. Basically, don't dig into that deep stuff because nobody cares about that. It reminds me of a quote from Miles Monroe when he said, don't nobody care about no blood on no cross. They just want to know how to make it through the day. Well, guess what? Without that blood on the cross, you're not going to make it at the end of the day. And I think the idea that it's too hard for you, that we should avoid it, keep it simple, don't ask any questions nobody's, don't answer any questions nobody's asking, I think that is weak. That is a weak way to preach and to teach the Word of God. What does that really do? You want to come? I'm going to bring you guys on this side of the of, of the preaching table for a minute. That type of preaching. Let me bring you over here. That means instead of spending anywhere from six to ten hours on study for Sunday, I can throw an hour on Sunday night or on Saturday night real late and come up here and give you an awesome thirty minute TED talk. That's what it is. And that's weak. That's who I used to be. And I'm not that anymore. Period. It's a weak way to preach. To think that i got to keep it simple for you guys. And really what it is I got is a cop-out. I don't want to dig too deep because it takes too long. Here's an example that I think we all need to ponder. In the modern church, we teach youth from sixth grade to graduation, right? That's about the youth age, right? We teach them weak, positive messages. We baby them, but not, by not giving them anything deeper than this surface level stuff. We embarrass them with immature icebreakers and stupid games. That's what we do. And that is if, if, in the modern, in, in the nowadays, because it's different now than when I was a kid, that is if we even bring them to church at all instead of uh, the many activities that they are involved in that we'll skip church for those activities. Then, guess what happens? They graduate high school. We give them the Bible for their graduation and send them on their way to college. And they go to college and the professor, guess what he does? He doesn't keep the surface level. He doesn't play stupid ice, stupid games or give them immature icebreakers. He or she treats them like an adult with a fully developed brain. He teaches them hard things. And then guess what? He expects them to learn it and remember it and pass a test on it. Right, Garrett? Right, Tori? Yeah. And we wonder why college-age people are leaving the church in droves. Because we have these young people whose minds are malleable, who can learn hard things, who can understand deeper concepts. And instead of tapping into that awesome potential and what they can be in life, we give them cartoons on Sunday. All the way up till 12th grade. And then they go to a place where somebody treats them like an adult. And what do they do? They start to believe this man or woman who tells them the really deep things that they're learning from an incorrect worldview. Because this is the one who actually challenges their mind 
and treats them like they are smart enough to get it. And what happens? They have no Christian defense to stand when they're faced with these awful worldviews and these awful thoughts and these awful ideas. I'm going to get pretty serious here because I'm very, I'm very uh, passionate about this. Brother Jesse and me and him have talked about youth in the past and we would love to have a youth program, but our youth program wouldn't be like what I went through. Are you Nobody would like it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me clearly. I don't want to pull any punches, okay? How not to go too far on a date does not prepare somebody who's going into college how to stand against a professor who acts like they know what they're talking about. Drinking nasty things does not prepare a young adult for life outside of their mother and father's house. And a goofball, Buddy the Elf youth pastor who just wants to, to be everybody's buddy and, and be hip and cool and think, and everybody say, yeah, my youth pastor so cool. He does not equip them for the intellectual challenges of an atheist professor or an agnostic professor who is telling them that their God is dead or that they need to open their minds to these other possibilities in life. Those things do not help these young people. And that's why when they get into college, they leave the church because this is challenging my mind. I'm not going to go to mindlessness. We have done generations of young people a great disservice. And I think we've done the church a great disservice. To avoid things because they are too hard or too deep is to insult the intelligence of every member of this church. Every theological thing that I teach, guess what had to happen before I could teach it? I had to learn it. I had the ability to learn and so do you. So I'm not going to pull back and, and not teach something because it seems hard. We don't stay away from those things here. If something is really deep and needs further explanation, guess what? We're going to go further with it. If you have a question on something theological you don't quite understand, it, guess what you can do? You can approach an elder and we'll talk about it. I personally trust the members of this church to be able to learn new things. I think you can. Even hard things. And that is why we're all here. Not, 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 we're not here to feel good and enjoy ourselves and, and walk out there and be like, oh man, it just feels great to be there. And it's not, we're not here to check the box and go, alright, I went to church, so God can still love me. And we're not here to be entertained. You're not an audience. God's the audience. You are here to worship a holy God. We're here to learn about God through the study and exposition of Scripture. We at this church sing the Word, we read the Word, we pray the Word, and we preach the Word, and all we do is worship and glorify God through that. That's what we're here for. Nothing else. The fellowship that we have together, guess what that is? Guess what else that is? That's worship. I identify with Brother Jesse because we worship the same God. I identify with Brother Gizzard because we worship the same God. That's what we do here. That's why we have fellowship with each other. That's why even if we don't see each other all week, it feels like we have just left each other because we worship the same God. We are sons and daughters of the same Father. We are worshiping the one true and living God. So, I sent Garrett a text the other day. I said, guess what I'm preaching tomorrow? He said, I don't know what. I said, it starts with a G and ends with the gospel. <laughs> I hope that every Sunday you hear the gospel from me. But I want to clearly articulate the gospel to you one more time. 
I told Casey I was preaching about the gospel. She said, again? I said, I ain't tired of it. Hope y'all aren't tired of it because you're going to hear it from me hopefully every Sunday. Every Sunday, I want to give you the gospel because I believe like Paul Washer says, we don't, we don't move on. We don't not need the gospel because we're in Christ. We need the gospel even more because we're in Christ. We need it daily. We need the gospel. The gospel that we believe, we identify in four points. God, man, Christ, response. We believe the gospel in four points. God, man, Christ, response. 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24 says this, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ and Him crucified in this church because it hits every point of this gospel. All four points, God, man, Christ response, finds its center one place. Jesus Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is our message in this church, and it should be the message in every church. It is not something that we ever hear enough. It's not anything that we can just move on from. I've got the gospel. Let's do some deeper stuff. It's the only hope to a lost and dead world. It's the power of God unto salvation. And truth be told, it is our great commission to share the gospel. So let's go through it. Point by point. God. Genesis 1.1 If you want a good memory verse, this is a good one, right, Brother Jesse? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our kids know this, okay? I bet you Sawyer could still tell you Genesis 1.1. I know Arlie Ray could still tell me Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right, baby? You see, we have a God that is so awesome in power who has existed eternally that He created all things just by saying things. And because He is that powerful and He is that Creator, He has rights over all of the creatures that He created. We don't like that. Be honest with yourself. You don't like that. What is our nature? Our nature is to be a free agent, right? I got this. I got, I'm going to do, do things my own way. No, you have a God who created you and He has rights over you. That's why environmentalism has approached things in the wrong way. True story. Y'all may not like me no more after this. I do believe that we do need to be better with the planet that we've been given. I, I, don't, I don't think we need to just ravage it. But I don't believe that we put the focus on the creature, on what we've created. We put our focus on the one who created it all. He has rights over all of it. And he made us stewards of it in the garden. So I believe we should be good with the earth. I believe we should do things the right way on the earth. Absolutely. But I also do believe that he created fossil fuels. So, you know, I don't have a problem with uh, putting gas in my car. So if he has, if we've got this holy God, right? If we truly believe him as he is revealed in scripture, we know he has rights over me because I'm his creature. We instantly approach our lives with, with, with the fear of God and the reverence of God saying, oh no, what does he require of me? Well, man in the garden was, was given the garden, but he was given one rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do, you will surely die. And what did man do with his free agency? He went straight to that tree. Because let's think about it. Let's, let's take, a, let's take a, 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 a thousand foot view here, okay? First things first. 
The tree was in the midst of the garden. The tree wasn't the whole garden. Adam and Eve were at this tree in order for Satan to be tempting them. Okay? Yes, Satan tempted them. But why are they at the tree in the first place? Eve was deceived because the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It looked good. It was good for food. Therefore, she desired it. And it would make her like God. That's what they thought. So they fell. Man fell. And because man fell in Adam, we are all born in sin. Psalm 51.5 Bodie Bauckham famously calls babies vipers and diapers. I don't go that far necessarily. But we're all born in sin. How do I know that? Because it says here, Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Listen to this. And in sin did my mother conceive me. We're born in sin. Well, that's just one verse. Well, I'm glad you said that because Psalm 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Listen, we are all in sin, born that way because of Adam's fall. We are totally depraved from birth. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sin. How did all sin, if, if at some point in our lives we were not sinning because we are literally just laying there not doing anything but drooling, how do all sin? Because we all sin in Adam. And I want to tell you this. Because of this, you cannot be a good person and just squeak by. Because we aren't good people. We don't have the ability to follow God's law. We can never be righteous on our own. And because of that, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble if we're dependent upon ourselves. But that's where we get to the third part of the gospel. Christ. We must have a mediator. Somebody between us and a holy God. And Christ came. And He is the incarnation of the holy God in flesh. He is God the Son. He is all God and all man. He is the spotless, sinless Lamb. Ephesians 1, 7-10 says... In Him we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him things in heaven and things on earth. The redemption of Christ is our hope. And let me tell you, this was not plan B. This was plan A. And thus, let me give you an awesome theological term, a brand new one that I don't think I've ever said here. It's called the doctrine of pactum salutis. Pactum Salutis. This is the doctrine that states that there is an eternal pact of salvation according to Bavink in Reformed Dogmatics. That's what it's called. And it's between the Trinity. So, in time everlasting, the Trinity made a pact of salvation called Pactum Salutis. That God would redeem us from sin and that God the Son was always to complete the work of redemption. 
and through Him we can be saved. So, if that's the case, what's our response? Because that's what's next, right? God, man, Christ response. How do we respond to that? I'd say scripturally there's a few different things. Some people put these in different order. This is the order I put them in. First is regeneration. That's our first response. Ezekiel 36.26 And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We need a new heart. Only God gives a new heart. And that leads us to a second part, saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Saving faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is a gift of God. It is all of Him. It is His doing. And then that leads us to repentance. Acts 17, 30-31 The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. So we see a new heart that seeks after God, saving faith, to trust Christ as God and as our Savior. And we repent and trust in Christ, right? So, the repent part, let me tell you what real repentance is because it is not changing your mind about who you are in Christ. That is not repentance. That is a false teaching on repentance. Yes, our minds must be changed, but our minds must be changed about who we are and who we should turn to, and what we should be doing. Real repentance is more. It's we acknowledge our sin. We turn from it. We seek God's forgiveness, and we do our best never to return with the help of the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, I preached a sermon called The Problem of Sin. Repentance is this. It's as if I was walking down a road towards my destruction, and I stopped and realized I was doing that, and I turned the other way. And that sounds simple, but then in turning the other way, I decide I will never go that way ever again. In fact, I would rather bust the road up and burn it down than ever walk back this path. That's repentance. Yes, metanoia literally means a change of mind, but in context it means a change of mind about sin and my relationship to sin, which helps me get my relationship, my relationship to God right. Number four, after we repent, we trust in Christ. Christ must be our Lord. He must be. We must place our hope, trust, obedience, and everything else in Him. Luke 14, 27, Jesus Himself said, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We must give our lives to Him and trust Him fully. It requires something from us that we turn from our sin and we place our trust in Him wholly and we go with what He says our life should be not ourselves. So now that we know what the Gospel is, right? Let me tell you what it is not. The gospel is not your testimony. It's not. Your testimony may help somebody, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is God-man Christ's response. The gospel is God created you, and He has rights over you, and He requires perfect holiness, and you don't have the ability to do it because you are sin, born in sin, and you need a mediator who is Christ Jesus, and your response is, to turn from your sin, repent, and trust in Christ and be a brand new creature. It's not your testimony. Guess what else the gospel is not? It is not health and wealth. Because guess what? Sometimes my bank account is empty. Sometimes I do not feel good. 
And that is because we're in a fallen world, and sometimes, guess what? Sometimes it's because God has ordained that it's time for suffering, and I'm going to be drawn closer to my God. The Gospel is not a set of actions that you can live in front of people. St. Francis of Assisi is, is credited with this saying, I don't know that he really said it, that uh, we're to preach the Gospel at all times and sometimes use words. That is a ridiculous statement. The Gospel must be preached. The life that we live in front of people is not the Gospel the life that we live in front of people is our sanctification. Yes, it may draw people to you that, they're, that you're living a life of holiness. And guess what? That's awesome. That's God using what you're doing in your life to draw somebody to you. But guess what you do when they come? You give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesse and I share a friend and we have tried our best to live a great life, but we can't just live the life in front of them. We've had to try our best to say something. And we've had the opportunities to do so. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because guess what? When I give somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, the pressure goes off of me and it goes on to God. Because guess who is the author of salvation? God Himself, not me. And somebody who trusts in my actions for their salvation has made a terrible terrible mistake because guess what I'm going to do tomorrow I'm going to sin in some way and I'm going to need to repent I'm going to get mad at somebody I'm going to yell at my daughter probably I don't want to but sometimes I do I'm going to do something wrong in front of somebody and if they've trusted me for their salvation they've made a terrible error the gospel is not creation revealed yes the heavens declare the glory of God yes creation is beautiful and it points us to the fact that there's a creator but looking at a tree ain't going to save you the gospel of Jesus Christ is The gospel is not being super giving and nice. Outreaches are wonderful. Outreaches are a job of the church. Helping those in need is a job of the church, but it is not the gospel. It is what the church would term being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's absolutely true because He is in heaven. He is our Lord. We are His people. And yes, we do things a little differently. We reach out to those in need. We try and help those in need. But that is not the gospel. No matter how much I help somebody on the street, I could I could take them off the street, buy them a brand new house, put them in it, pay all their bills for the rest of their life, and they can still go to hell. They must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Period. And this one. You pastors, beware. The gospel is not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Does He love you and have a wonderful plan for your life if you're in Him? Absolutely. But as uh, Justin Peters would tell us, he had a wonderful plan for Stephen's life to be stoned and killed. He had a wonderful plan for Peter's life to be hung upside down on a cross. He had a wonderful plan for Thomas's life to be killed in India. He had a wonderful plan for Matthew's life to be killed in Ethiopia. He had a wonderful plan for Paul's life to shipwreck every time he gets in a boat. To be carried in chains for most of his life. And to die in Rome. Yes, for those who are called in Christ, He has a wonderful plan for your life. And He does love you. But we don't get people saved. That's not the Gospel. Because the gospel will cost us sometimes. To be in Christ will cause us to carry our cross. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. Leonard Ravenhill uh, actually did some mentoring, I think, of Paul Washer. But Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, The only people who want to change the gospel 
are those who are unchanged by it. If we've got to fix our gospel, we're not changed by it. We preach the doctrines of the Bible. We preach the theology of one true God. And we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in this church. And that is all that we need preached here. We don't need anything else preached here. Period. I don't need to get up here and preach you five financial tips to be prosperous in this life. What do I need to preach? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't need to get up here and teach you uh, ten steps on sexual purity. I need to preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. I don't need to get up here and entertain you with cool stories, awesome media and video. I don't need any of that. Our, 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 our multimedia department is Brother Kendall putting our verses on the board so you can see them if you don't have your Bible in your hand. And we're thankful for that. I'm glad we have that. I'm glad we have that. He puts the words of the songs up. I'm glad we do that. So you know it. But he, me and him aren't having uh, planning meetings on how to have an awesome multimedia event, right? Kendall, we're not, we're not up here for light shows and entertainment. We are up here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see people's hearts and lives changed forever. And that's all we need. We don't need nothing else, period. That's it. So, I encourage you, as we preach doctrine, theology, and the gospel, I encourage you to learn these things. Learn them. I encourage you to study them on your own at home. I encourage you to challenge your own mind. If I say, pactum salutis, don't turn your head off, turn your mind off because oh, that ain't English. <laughs> we don't even speak Latin anymore. Why is he speaking Latin? Don't turn your mind off. Challenge it. I'm going to remember pactum salutis is the eternal pact of salvation between the Trinity. That's what it is. I'm going to challenge my mind to do that. And I'm also going to challenge you to read and know your word because guess what? That's what we're going to be teaching out of every Sunday. From from Jesse and Jolene teaching our kids, guess what they pre guess what they teach out of? The word of God. Garrett, when he gets up here and teaches our Sunday school, his basis is the word of God. When I get up on a Sunday, guess what I preach? The Word of God. When we sing, we sing the Word of God. When we pray, we pray the Word of God. Every Sunday, Garrett and Jesse read directly from the Word of God. Our call to worship comes from the Word of God. Our benediction comes from the Word of God. So read and know your Word. Listen, because Christ and His Gospel is really the only hope in this world. That's the only hope. There is no other hope outside of Christ in this world. So, dig in. Even if it seems deep, let's all dive in together. Even if it seems hard, let's all work at it, chisel at it together. Do like Sister Tori does. Get that notebook out. Start writing the notes down. And I know uh, several of y'all do that. I've seen several of you. Yeah, and, and we got the Marine here who's got a mind like a steel trap. Don't remember it. <laughs> but listen, that, that, that's that's right. We're here. I love to see Sister Tosh and Sister Torres taking the notes. I love to see you guys with your eyes directly on me and, and getting it. That's what I care about. I don't want any entertainment. I don't want. I don't want you laughing at my jokes. I don't, I'm I'm very funny. I know, but no. Listen, I don't, I, don't need, I don't need laughter at my jokes. I don't need to tell you a good story to try and make you cry. I don't need any of that. I need you to hear the Word of God and, and, and soak it into your hearts and have your mind changed and altered by, what, by who God is. My dad, he told me one, one Sunday, he said, you know, really what's supposed to be done at church is you're supposed to learn the Bible. And I said, exactly right. That's exactly right. We learn the Bible here. That's what we do. Because the Bible has the answers. I don't have the answers. I can't fix it. I can't fix my own life, much less yours. 
Only Christ. And Christ is revealed to me in His Word. He is the Word made flesh. <clears throat> and next Sunday, we're going to dig into that because guess what we're starting next Sunday? The Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And His name was Jesus Christ. And He has come and He has saved us from our sins. What's better than that? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for all that You've done in our hearts and our lives through the preaching of the Word. God, we ask that You would challenge our hearts and minds to grasp these deeper concepts, to know that we can grasp them, and to, and to dig in and enjoy them. God, we thank You for Christ, that through Him we have a mediator, that we can repent and trust in Him, and we are saved, and that's it. Our hearts are brand new. We thank You that we've been made a brand new creature. Help us to be challenged to take the gospel out of these walls and preach it to these people. Father, right now I pray for any who may have heard this gospel presentation who do not know you who are not in Christ. Sinner, you must repent and trust in Christ for the salvation of your souls. You must run to Him and cling to Him or you have no hope past this world Run to Christ. He is your only hope. He can save you. Father, thank you so much. Bless the people here. And we give you honor and praise for all that you have done and all that you are going to do. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, a few announcements. Uh,